Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Dr. Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. Today is the 22nd of July 2019 and this is episode 123. On today's programme I talk to Mike Halley, a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh. We discuss his research into veterans' responses to Peace Day that was held on the 19th of July 1919, the centenary of which was three days ago. Mike, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Yeah, well, very briefly, um, actually, I think like a a few historians I've come across, I loathed history at school and couldn't give it up soon enough. And I actually went into engineering my first career. But um, after the best part of 17 years of that, I was ready to change course completely and became a radio producer. And in time, I was working with someone who had been an academic historian. We were making historic radio programs for Radio 4 and World Service in particular. And I began to make a series of programs about aspects of remembrance for Remembrance Day over seven years in the end. And the first two of those were the roots of Remembrance Day, of which Peace Day was the first step, and the roots of the British Legion, which eventually became my PhD thesis, which is where I am now. I'm in the, the final year of doing my thesis. Can you start by telling us about Peace Day, the centennial which occurred a few days ago on the 19th of July 2019? Obviously, we were looking at the 19th of July 1990. And what this day was and why it's got such a significance? Yes, and I think it has been rather overlooked in history. Everyone has heard, of course, of the armistice on 11 November 1918. And the general assumption is that was the end of the war. But of course, it was only a truce. It was only for a month and it was renewed into mid-January and it was renewed again into mid-February. And in fact, it was only during that third renewal that the Paris Peace Conference finally got underway. And then the armistice was renewed for a whole year as the scale of the problem of um, coming up with a treaty became apparent. And so all this time and for months that followed, there was a general feeling of uneasiness, of doubt about whether the war was even over. I mean, there were British troops still marching towards the Rhine to to become the army of occupation. There were soldiers, mutinies and strikes in early January and again at the end of January. The veterans were very unhappy at the what they saw, the betrayal of the promises they'd been made to be looked after properly when the war was over. And the in one occasion, towards the end of May, um, the Federation, which was the biggest association of discharged sailors and soldiers, held a big series of demonstrations across the country. The biggest one was in Hyde Park, and that became very volatile. They broke out and headed for Westminster and there were clashes with police right outside Parliament. So that whole period from the armistice until the signing of the Treaty of Versailles on 28th June 1919 was one characterised by this unrest, these doubts, and a sort of pervasive feeling that should we even celebrate Peace Day given the scale of the losses, the extent of the grief, Certainly there was an uneasiness about copying the French and having a victory parade, and the cabinet was very unhappy about calling it a victory parade. But finally, when the Treaty of Versailles was signed, 
the cabinet agreed that there would be, first of all, a Thanksgiving service um, on the following Sundays. That was just a few days later. And then um, not even three weeks later, on the 19th July, which was a Saturday in 1919, they were going to have this um, big military demonstration is what it was first called along with festivities in the Royal Parks, especially Hyde Park. And indeed, they called for festivities across the whole country. Um, and this was really quite an undertaking to organise in such a short time, particularly as the scale of the procession through London became apparent. And how did you become interested in Peace Day and veterans' responses to it? Well, my interest in Peace Day actually goes back to the very first program, radio program I made for BBC Radio 4, which we called the Roots of Remembrance Day. And I'd come across Lord Curzon just uh, in my general reading, and I thought he was a, a fascinating character. And out of that, I realised that the story of where the Remembrance Day ceremony had come from was one that actually wasn't very well known. And I think I felt, and I think most people did, that it had just sort of always been there. But Curzon was famous for his love of ceremony and his great skill at arranging ceremonies on an enormous scale. And the most famous one of these was known as the Delhi Durbar of 1903. And this was the um, installation of the King and Queen of England as uh, the Emperor and Empress of India. He arranges two weeks of celebrations involving thousands of richly decorated elephants, all kinds of military parades, um, leaders of countries from around the world. It was truly extraordinary. And so he was seen, because he was already in the War Cabinet, when the War Cabinet started discussing how to mark um, the Treaty of Versailles, he was seen as the obvious person, the only one really with the ability to organise things on a grand scale. There were doubts that he was someone who just loved pomp, aristocracy and the elite in society. And yet somehow he managed to come up with a peace day procession that had the ordinary sailors and soldiers and the widows and the orphans all at its centre. And it wasn't primarily a day for the great and the good. So why do you think it's an important subject for study? I think it's important because that period um, from Armistice Day to the middle of 1919 hasn't been studied in a lot of detail. There's a tendency to assume that the war was over in November 1918. And certainly the aftermath of the war wasn't over. And of course, as has been pointed out by other historians, um, increasingly, the war continued in various ways for several more years in various other countries. But I think the, the way that um, the country and the cabinet in particular responded to that period of uncertainty and the way that veterans organisations responded to it tells us a lot about the, um, the effect of the war on the British population. Uh, I hope to look in my postdoctoral work at the Second World War and how veterans progressed from that. And you can certainly see that in World War II, the government was already planning not to repeat the mistakes of the First World War when it came to treatment of veterans and the welfare state, the whole idea of how the population as a whole in a total war needed to feel that they fighting the war had been worthwhile. 
And there were doubts about that, especially among veterans in the aftermath of the First World War. So what actually happened on peace day and how did soldiers respond to it across the United Kingdom? From all the contemporary accounts, it does seem that peace day, uh, when it finally came, was well received. It was a seven-mile procession through central London, starting in one part, the Albert Gate at Hyde Park, going south of the river and down through uh, the the southern parts of London, back over Westminster Bridge into Whitehall, where the cenotaph was seen, and this was seen uh, by most people for the first time, the temporary cenotaph, and then um, out of Whitehall into the Mall, past the Royal Party at Victoria Memorial, uh, where the king took the salute, and on to eventually to Hyde Park again. And there were something like 20,000 sailors, soldiers, the women's forces, the, there were representatives of many nations, even you know the Siamese, for example, um, the Chinese, the Japanese. So this was a, a remarkable feat to have been organized in effect in just a little over two weeks. Um, they, they had armored vehicles, field guns and so on. It's said that it took more than two hours for the procession to pass each point on the parade route. And the newspapers recorded that people were arriving as early as three o'clock in the morning to get their best best places to watch the procession. And I think also, again, credit to Curzon in that he didn't try and hide away those who had those soldiers who were too disabled to march. They were given pride of place at the front of the, the crowds, the places were reserved for them. On Constitution Hill, a large area was reserved for the widows and orphans of those who were not coming back. And of course, the, the central focus really of the day and the picture that was reproduced in newspapers all over the place, and we've seen many times since, was the troops, including the generals and the admirals, stopping at the temporary cenotaph and turning to salute the symbol of those who would not come back. Now, uh, I think you asked about veterans responses. Although it was generally well received, the veterans groups, in particular the Federation of um, Discharged and Demobilized Sailors and Soldiers, was very critical as soon as the plans were announced and they um, formally announced that they were advising all their branches around the country to take no part in these celebrations because they felt the government was still avoiding doing what it morally should be doing to help the veterans by uh, improving their pensions, improving allowances for dependents, retraining those who were disabled, providing more jobs, more houses and so on and so on. And until that was done, they felt that any kind of peace celebration was unjustified. And on the day itself, this led to a number of events around the country. And now most of these were just small rival events, which where the veterans got together to protest. But in Luton, and this is the most famous one, which many people will know of, the protest meeting was held in front of the town hall. It became angry and then violent. The Uh, Some of the people attending set fire to the town hall. When the firefighters arrived, their hoses were cut and they were attacked. And it's understood that every single firefighter in the town was hospitalised. And indeed, it took three days. Soldiers from 
a, another town, um, in effectively imposing martial law before order was restored. Um, things went much better in Coventry, where there were riots, uh, shop windows were broken, uh, boarded up, and uh, it said that at least 100 uh, veterans, or at least 100 rioters, if you like, because there's arguments about how many veterans were involved, but at least 100 people, including some police officers, were hospitalised there as well. But on the whole, it does seem that Peace Day marked the end of that really troubled first six or seven months of the year. It's not to say there wasn't more unrest and more trouble, but from then on, things began to become a bit more peaceful and there was more of a dialogue between the, the veterans and the authorities. Was Peace Day actually marked in the island of Ireland at all at the time? Yes, it was, interestingly. Um, and indeed, very very much in the same way, the military proces uh, procession, um, Irish soldiers, generals uh, preferred to attend the Dublin celebrations than to be in London or elsewhere in the UK. At that time, it's a very interesting subject, um, not one that I'm particularly uh, an expert on by any means, but I have been struck by how much the British soldiers were still, or the British, the veterans of the British Army, I should say, who were Irish, were still able to openly mark their service at that time, although it was becoming more difficult, obviously, um, as the troubles became more, more open and more serious in Ireland. So essentially you've got sort of two responses, one of which is quite positive and then one which is quite negative. What actually factors, what sort of wider factors shaped both those responses to the day? I think just picking up on the negative factors first, there was this underlying feeling, uh, particularly among the veterans associations, that there wasn't much to celebrate because of what they faced when they came back, but that the overall response to Peace Day and the general feeling that the country supported them, even if they were unhappy about uh, government attitudes. The, more, the positive side of it, I think, in on balance was much greater. It achieved the right note. It wasn't a particularly triumphal procession. It wasn't generally recorded as a, as a, a victory march, although some newspapers sometimes did use that phrase. And that, above all, the, the cenotaph, that central mark of those who were not coming back and the way that uh, the generals and the admirals and, uh, and the men of all and women of all ranks, the way that they treated that um, cenotaph, that symbol, was respectful and appropriate. Within days, there were demands that the cenotaph should be made permanent because it had been seen as a one-off. It, it had initially just been made of wood and plaster and so on. Uh, but Within two weeks, the government, uh, the cabinet was announcing that indeed it would be replaced as soon as possible by a permanent memorial. And of course, that very quickly became the centre of remembrance, remembrance celebrations, whatever you want to call them, remembrance ceremonies rather, uh, both in London and copied by similar memorials around the country that grew up over the, the next few years. Mike, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman. 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>